Well, we are going to start. You know how sometimes people that preach, and I don't really preach that much. I just, you know, when they need me to preach here, I preach. And so I hadn't learned all the, the tricks of the preaching thing, but what I've learned from Pastor and John is every once in a while when you're preaching through a series, if you feel like you need to preach about something else, you just preach about something else. So guess what? I'm preaching about something else tonight. So we've been on Jude, but being back from Israel, I really just kind of wanted to share a little bit about Israel and about uh, some of the places we went. And so uh, my time here on Wednesday night is going to end pretty soon now that everything's going well with, uh, with Dottie and the pastor and, and all the cancer is gone and they're going to be back, kind of back to the routine that we always had. So I wanted to just kind of finish out uh, a little bit about Israel. You know, we had a great time in Israel. We took 80, 80 people. We went to Israel and had a, a good time. But we went to some different places. And through that, I just wanted to share from my heart just some of the things that I learned and lessons that I learned from the places that we were. So today, we are going to be talking about lessons that I learned from En Gedi. Now, we'll talk about En Gedi in Israel. And you go, well, what's En Gedi? Well, that's what you're going to learn. So we're going to do that. So if you look at a picture on the, on the screen right here, you see that's Israel right there. Now, if you look at the very top, you see the water at the very top. That's the Sea of Galilee. And the water goes down into the Dead Sea. And then uh, you'll see the big body of water at the bottom. That's the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is, of course, dead. It's salt. And so, you know, you actually can lay in the Dead Sea and you float on top. Many of y'all that have been to Israel, you've experienced that. And so when you get down to the area of the Dead Sea, uh, we'll see the next picture. Around the Dead Sea, you'll see in that circle right there on the western shore of the Dead Sea is a, a place called En Gedi. En Gedi is a place that has waterfalls. It's kind of an oasis in the middle of this. Now, when you get to the Dead Sea, what you're going to have is you have the Dead Sea, and it's just dead, and then you have mountains all around, and so it's almost like desert. It's, it's desert, it's dusty, and yet right here in the middle of this, you have En Gedi that's in the Bible, and En Gedi is on the western shore, and it has palm trees, it has waterfalls, it has fresh springs, it has different areas there in which we went to En Gedi. And so I'll explain a little bit what En Gedi means to us in the Bible. Now, when we're looking in the Bible, we're seeing that En Gedi, En Gedi, the name En Gedi, it means the fountain of the goat. So when you're in there, you're seeing waterfalls and springs, and, and then you're also seeing a lot of goats. There's, there are a lot of goats still there. You're walking down a trail to look at the waterfalls, and, and you see caves and but what you're seeing is you're, it means the fountain of the goats. And so you're walking in here in En Gedi. And in the Bible, En Gedi is talked about in a, a few places. In Joshua, when, they're, when Joshua, they are um, dividing up the land uh, to who's going to get what, what tribe's going to get what land when they're conquering the land. And in Joshua 15, 62, you might want to write this down or you might not, but it's still interesting to know where En Gedi is in the Bible. It, they're dividing up the land, and part of the land goes, they said, and you get, it says, 
uh, Nibshan, the city of salt, which is close to there because that all, whole area is the Dead Sea, which is salt. And then it says in Engedi, and then six villages, six cities in their villages. So in Joshua, Engedi is mentioned probably for the first time, Second Chronicles, it's mentioned for the way that it's just something, it's part of the land there, and it's given to a tribe in the Old Testament. And so En Gedi also is mentioned in Second Chronicles, but it has a different name. The original name for En Gedi, just for you to know, is Hazazon Tamar. And it's in Second Chronicles where it's, it's, it was named that first, and then it was called En Gedi. And in Second Chronicles 22, it gives the name Hazazon Tamar, and then it says, which is En Gedi. So there it is again. In the Bible, and Gedi is mentioned again in the Bible. Then in Song of Solomon, uh, he says that my beloved, this is in Song of Solomon 114, this is how he describes his beloved. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blooms in the vineyards of Engedi. Isn't that romantic? So that's how the Song of Solomon says that his love, my beloved is to me a cluster of of henna blooms in the vineyards of Engedi, because Engedi was so rich because it was an oasis with fresh water right in the middle of all this uh, mountain and desert. And then we see Engedi, which I think is the, I know what we're going to study today is interesting and is in the Bible, but this part in Ezekiel 47.10, I thought this was very interesting. Engedi is also mentioned in Ezekiel, and it's mentioned in the way of the end times. You know, John's preaching on the end times right now. And in Ezekiel 47, it talks about Jesus coming that back, and then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, from the front of the temple facing east. The water was flowing under the right side of the temple south of the altar. And it goes on and tells about this water and this water is flowing. So what's going to happen when Jesus comes back in the millennial time is there's going to be water that's flowing to the east, to the west, to the north. And then toward the end of this Ezekiel, in chapter 10 of, of Ezekiel 47, in verse 10, it says this, And shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi. See, right there by the Dead Sea. If you look at that picture, and Gettys right there at the Dead Sea. And what's going to happen is, is the Dead Sea, when Jesus comes back, the Dead Sea is going to come alive again because of the water that's flowing from the temple once Jesus comes back. And it says here that the fishermen will stand by it from Engedi, and there will be places for spreading their nets. The fish will be the same kind of fish from the great sea, exceedingly many. So really what happens in the end time here is what it says is, is it says that in the end times, Jesus will come for that time in the millennium. Water is going to come from the temple, and the temple mount, and it's going to be to where the Dead Sea becomes alive. And right now, there's no fish in the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is what they call the Dead Sea. It's just salt water and like really bad tasting salt water if you happen to get some in your mouth. And it's just that in one day when Jesus comes back, the Dead Sea is going to be alive. That just right there shows me Jesus Christ can bring dead things to life. And that's what Jesus is going to do. So En Gedi is mentioned again in the Bible 
that way in where it's talking about that. So we, we see the we see En Gedi, and we drove up now to En Gedi on that Wednesday. We had gone to the Dead Sea, and we had visited the Dead Sea, and then on our way then um, into Bethlehem and Jerusalem, the first thing we did on that Wednesday morning before we got to Bethlehem and Jerusalem is that we stopped at En Gedi. It's a, it's a uh, nature park now. But as you are going through that, you can't help but be... But remember the main part and the main story in the Bible about En Gedi, and that is the story of David and Saul. And so if you have your Bibles, you go ahead now and turn to 1 Samuel 24. Now David and Saul, if you understand, Saul is after David. Saul is jealous of David because everyone likes David now, and Saul is looking to kill David. And what happens is, is that David goes with his men. He has 600 men. This is in 1 Samuel uh, 23. And David goes with his men. Uh, and in 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 4, Saul is told that David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. So we, we have this story now. We're standing now in En Gedi right there by the Dead Sea, and we're standing there as we are um, remembering and as we had read the story of Saul and David and David's hiding in En Gedi. And if you look at this picture that we have right here of En Gedi, you're going to see that when you're walking in En Gedi, that is the side of the mountain, on, and you, you have this all over En Gedi. Those, those are caves. And see, this is where David was. David was in these caves. And now David had 600 men, and he had gone to En Gedi because Saul was trying to kill him. Well, they found out that David was in En Gedi, and when he was in En Gedi, David then took, I mean, Saul then took 3,000 men. And Saul took 3,000 men to go and try to kill um, David. That's how... That's how much God, the Satan had gotten to Saul is because Saul had become so jealous and Saul had become so wanting to get rid of David because he just couldn't stand that anybody else was more popular than he was. And so he went ahead and did that. And so now we're going to start in 1 Samuel 24. And I want you to just kind of listen to this. It's a little long, long scriptures, but at the same time, it's a great story. Because you can look at that picture while I'm reading it and think about this. You know, they're in these caves, and there's, like, inside these caves, they're just walking back and forth, and, and they're doing areas like this. And so you, there's David and 600, and then there's Saul and 3,000. So right here, there's about 3,600 people in this area. And they're all in the caves. They're all outside the caves. They go to this place because it's fresh water out in the middle of everywhere. And so then we go ahead and read this. Now it happened, uh, we're in 1 Samuel 24, verse 1. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told to him, take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his mans on the rocks of the wild goat. They call it the rocks of the wild goat because there's wild goats all over it and there still is there today. 
So he came to the sheepfolds of the road, and there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the caves. And these are these caves that are in the back of the, and in Gedi, they're all over. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, and you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterwards that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to the man, The Lord forbid that I shall do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing that he is the anointed of the Lord. So what we have so far is this. They're in there. David, uh, Saul goes in, takes care of his needs into the, the caves that are here in Engedi. And what happens is David and his men, they see that it's Saul. And so there's a chance for them to go ahead and David could kill Saul. But what Saul does, what David does, is he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. And he says later, I cannot touch God's anointed. I, I just can't do that in my own heart. And so David says that to his people. And then David arose afterwards, went to a, out into the cave, and called Saul, saying, My Lord, my king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks you harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, and he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, you see the corner of your robe in my hand. So he's holding the robe in his hand in one of these caves. And for it, I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life and take it. Yet the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. And whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog, a flea. Therefore the Lord be judged, and judge between you and me, and see and plead my case, and deliver me into your hand. So it was when David finished and speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, and you have rewarded me a good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day, and you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hands, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy... Will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good in what you have done this day. And now I know indeed that you are surely the king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name or my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home. But David and his men went to the stronghold. What a powerful, powerful story. So here's Saul. He goes in to take care of his needs. Here is David who has a chance to be able to just get back and kill him. 
And yet David doesn't do it, and Saul is humbled. Really, this is the beginning of the Saul's end, really, there, because his heart gets hard again later on, if you read 1 Samuel a little bit more. But this is the time where David had a chance to get back at the one person that was on t- was going to destroy him. David had a chance to do it. He could have done it at any second. And so really what I've titled this time, and it's going to be very uh, to the point, is this. I've titled this lesson tonight, this sermon tonight, Lessons from Engedi. Two two lessons. Two lessons. Some of you all heard it, but I think I need to be need to share that with everyone because the lessons we learn from Engedi can change our lives. The first lesson is this. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Don't be that person. Don't be that person like Saul. Who because they got jealous or because they let bitterness come into their life that led to jealousy. Don't be that person that is cruel and mean to other people because of jealousy and bitterness that we have in our hearts. That's a lesson I learned. You know, we never would have been here if Satan hadn't attempted Saul and he took the bait and in that, in his heart, became hard. You know, even in the Bible, and, and it says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit, but whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. Let all bitterness wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then it says to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.8 says this, but now you must put aside all things, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Don't be that person. That's the lesson I get from here. I feel sorry for Saul, in a way, that in his life, everything that the Bible says, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, had taken over his life. Jealousy, ruled in his heart. Don't be that person. You know, Satan just wants you to get angry with somebody. Satan just wants you to be jealous of somebody. Satan just wants to tear you up inside so when you see this person, your, your stomach just gets in knots because you can't stand that person. And what we see here is it leads to an Engedi encounter. Because none of us will ever win something like that. We'll never be able to get back at somebody when we get angry and bitter because we're going against the will of God. So the first lesson is don't be that person, but the question to you is, do you have anything in your heart right now that's making you that person? Is there somebody in your life right now that you have anger toward? 
Is there somebody in your life right now that you have jealousy toward? Is there somebody in your life right now that you've let the root of bitterness start creeping up in your heart that when you see that person, they just can't, you just can't handle it like Saul? Saul had gone mad. He had gone mad in his mind. And Saul was God's anointed. But he had gone mad in his mind because he let jealousy and bitterness start controlling his life. Do you have in your heart any kind of clamor where you talk bad about somebody? Do you have anything in your heart that you have evil, evil speaking of anybody? The Bible says to put all these things away. So I don't want any of, any of us in this room tonight, I don't want any of us in this room tonight to be that person. Because it just leads you down a path. And I'm not going to say it leads you to a path where Saul was, because you know what happened to Saul, right? Saul went into battle, and he ended up dying on a sword. And his children died too. But I will say this. When you have evil speaking and bitterness and clamor and anger, you may not die a physical death, but you are going to be dying spiritually every day because there's no place that the Holy Spirit can be along with bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor. And I understand that there's many, many things that happen in our life that can lead us to a point where we're jealous of people, to where we're angry with people, where we have bitterness, people have treated us wrong, people have treated us mean, people have done things against us that sometimes could be even unspeakable that we could never even think about. And I know if anybody in here is above the age of one day old, everybody here has had face-to-face with people that we have come in contact with. And if we're not careful, we have that in our hearts if we don't give that to God. So I'm just asking you this. Don't be that person. It's just, it leads to sadness and despair when God wants you to have an abundant life. So the first lesson is this. Are you that person? And if you are, what can you do to get rid of that? Well, the Bible says right here, the Bible says to put aside. There has to come a time in your spiritual walk with God to where you're man and woman enough to sit before God and you're man and woman enough to say, God, I have anger, bitterness, and even hatred toward this person. And God, I need you to give me the strength to lay it aside. That means... Everything in the past, you lay it aside and let God give you the peace that only God can give you in a circumstance like that. So the first lesson is what? Don't be that person. The second lesson, this is even better. Kindness and mercy is better than revenge. Oh, I don't like that lesson. If somebody's messing with me, 
They better watch out. And then David goes and does something like this. David goes and has a chance to get back at him. David goes and has a chance to have revenge for a guy that's trying to destroy him and kill him. And everybody that has anything to do with him And instead of taking revenge, he shows kindness and mercy because he's following the Lord. Because Saul was the Lord's what? Anointed. And David loved God so much that David said, I'm not going to touch God's anointing because no matter what he does, he is still God's anointed. So kindness and mercy is better than any type of revenge. That is the lesson I'm going to stand right here again and say, that's a very hard lesson for me to learn. But yet Proverbs 16.32 says this, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is he who takes a city. You know what David did in that cave that day? David ruled his spirit. Or really, God ruled his spirit. David had a chance to destroy Saul. David had a chance to get back at the person that had gotten, that, gotten to him. David had a chance, and yet David followed God. David showed kindness, and David showed mercy. Romans 12, 19 through 21. Beloved, this this is a great scripture. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, we've all heard this, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if an enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you heap a coal of fire on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. And that's exactly what David did. Number one, never repay evil with evil. Repaying evil with evil just makes you evil. Repaying evil with good makes you godly. But make repaying evil with evil just makes you evil. Remember that next time you're in an argument and somebody says something to you. Number two, turn the other cheek. That's scriptural. That's awfully hard when you're married. (laughs) But it's scriptural. Realize the Lord, number three, realize the Lord is over you and he will avenge. You know all this movie stuff lately, the Avengers? God's the Avenger. (laughs) He's the ultimate Avenger. The Bible says he is the one 
that will take you. And he is the one that will avenge the ones that are after God's people. So kindness and mercy is better than revenge. So to close, told you this wasn't going to be long. Here's a couple of questions. Who do you need to be kind to? Who is it that you need to show mercy and kindness to? I bet somebody comes to your mind. Yeah, they do. It comes to your mind. I got people come to my mind. I'm not going to tell you who. And I don't really need to know yours. But I know the Bible says we need to show kindness and mercy to even those people who have tried to hurt us. And the second question, do I have a heart like Saul who has resentment, jealousy, and bitterness towards someone? You know, we come and hear a Bible study and we come and hear a sermon at night so God can change our hearts from within through the Holy Spirit and we can change and we can go forward and be a little stronger when we walk out of this room from when we came in. Isn't that why we come and listen to the Word of God? And so tonight, it's simple. Who do we need to show kindness to? And God, that person that I need to show kindness and mercy to, God, I'm just going to pray tonight so I can be stronger when I walk out of this room, God. I'm going to pray, God, that you will give me the strength to show kindness and mercy to that person. You'll walk out of here feeling peace in your heart. And then during the invitation tonight, you ask yourself, do I have a heart like Saul? Is there anybody in my life that I have resentment, jealousy, and bitterness toward? Other than just hurting you spiritually, which it does hurt us spiritually whenever we have that in our hearts. It also hurts that other person, and the job of a born-again Christian is never... To hurt another person. It's to love the people. So they can come to know Jesus Christ in a more excellent way. So in the invitation tonight, that's it. Who do I need to be kind to and show mercy and kindness? And then, do I have a heart like Saul that has resentment, jealousy, and bitterness towards someone and if that's the case, lay that aside tonight at the feet of Jesus Christ and walk out of here fresher than you've probably felt in years because you're not carrying that anymore. Those are the lessons I learned from Engedi. Tough lessons. But lessons that will change our life. So, Father, we pray right now, in this time that we're together, that, Father, that you will um, change and transform our hearts as we've
talked about in Getty tonight. We've talked about bitterness and resentment. And Father, we've talked about kindness and mercy. Father, there may be people here tonight that just need to let go and lay aside resentment, bitterness, and jealousy. But Father, there may be some people here tonight that are being attacked. And Father, I pray that you give them an extra portion. They just need to pray, God, give me an extra portion of kindness and mercy. Let me not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. Father, we pray as always when we have an invitation, if there's someone here tonight that doesn't know you as personal Lord and Savior, I pray during this invitation time, Father, that they will come forward and make their decision. Father, if they're here tonight, Father, I pray that through the nudging of the Holy Spirit that that will come forward and, Father, talk to a minister up here about getting saved. Father, also, if someone's here tonight and they want to join our church, Father, let this be the night that it happens. But Father, we give this invitation to you. And in the lessons that we learn through the scripture tonight, I pray that it changes our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.